We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Same thing with Creed, who you arguably make uh, make the argument that he's one of the top centers in the league already heading into year two. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. What is up, Chiefs Kingdom? Welcome back to One on One, a KC Sports Network podcast. I am your co-host, Mike DeVito, here as always with Chiefs legend and nine-year NFL veteran, Super Bowl champion, all those things, Jeff Allen. Big Jeff, what's up, baby? How you doing? What's going on, Mike, man? I'm happy to be here. We got our boy Duke Manningweather in the house. Man, we got Duke in the house. We're going to jump right into it. We want to make sure we take our guest time uh, and get as much out of it as we can. But before, real quick, Cookie Society coming up on September. Got the new lineup coming out soon. Big Jeff, anything I need to remember there? Mention? Uh, we're still in August, man, so it's the same cookies from the previous week. We do have Pop-Tart, Strawberry Pop-Tart this week, so okay. check that out. Get on it. Get on it. Get the merch. Get all that. CookieSociety.com. They shop nationwide. Ship nationwide, so go ahead and check them out. CookieSociety.com. Duke, what's up, brother? Not much. Not much at all, man. Jeff, I should have came over to your spot. We're right down the road. Yeah, I know, man. We could have had oh. one of the stores and did this. <laughs> oh, that's cool. You guys are close? Yeah, man. Duke's right down the road from me, man. Yeah, we're probably oh, six nice. minutes away from each other right now. <laughs> he, he's the reason I moved up here. He doesn't even know it. Dang, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, Duke, I know um, – I, I imagine the vast majority of our, our audience is going to know who you are, but maybe real quickly just sort of uh, introduce yourself, what you do, and, and what you're great at. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I am – I'm uh, definitely uh, the, the founder and creator of Online Mastermind, uh, along with uh, Lane Johnson. But uh, Online Masterminds really is a holistic and ground-up approach to offensive line development in which we train the mind, the body, and the craft. And uh, we take that serious. We take our uh, development in terms of developing the actual person serious, uh, you know, much like as Jeff is a shining reflection of that, uh, being able to transition out of football, having those type of conversations about what's next. And um, it's really, it's a brotherhood. It's a brotherhood. We started off with a small core group, which Jeff was a part of that group. And now um, annually we have around 40 to 45 guys that we train, even more that we consult with, including teams. And then there's about over 200 that come to our summit annually. Uh, we got a really strong Chiefs relationship, really great relationship with Andy Heck uh, down at training camp a couple of years and have done stuff with the chiefs um have done uh media with the chiefs and some consulting and stuff like that so definitely uh definitely very familiar with the chiefs and then of course guys like mitch schwartz and jeff schwartz and jeff allen and uh and now the next the next wave of guys like creed humphrey and uh trey smith and darian Kennard have all uh trained with me in our in my program so very strong Chiefs connection and, uh, you know, top-notch organization. Um, I think what Coach Reed has done there and then Coach Heck on the offensive line uh, and then Beach has just been uh, nothing short of incredible. And, 
you know, it's a, it's a team that always makes sure that I turn on the film very quickly to catch up with what the guys are doing. Mm. And Duke, we're gonna uh, we're gonna get into that stuff with the Chiefs, but before we do that, like, hats off to you. Uh, yeah. What you, what you've created and what you've done is absolutely incredible. And I know, uh, having been out of the league for six years, I mean, the word still got up to me about everything that you're doing, teaching guys and training guys. And uh, not only have I competed against those guys and seen the difference that you make, but you can watch it day in and day out on, on uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned the guys with the Chiefs. I mean, there's guys like that all over the league that you've worked with. And you can see the difference in the caliber of player. And I know as a defensive lineman, man, I would have died to have someone like you to go to during the offseason, to get to go to prior to pro days and combines and all this stuff to really learn how to play the game. And so what you've been doing is is just incredible. And, and let me let me give you a, a, a story. So you said you worked with uh, Mitchell Schwartz and my last year in Kansas City, I played with Mitchell. And I imagine, you know, I know he's your he's one of your guys. And obviously Mitchell's Mitchell's really good and everybody knows that. But I, I didn't realize how good. Um, and I remember we were playing against him. He was with the Browns. I was with the Chiefs. And I had come in for a play. And the Browns were running an outside zone. And I was the a wide five. Now, I never, ever get reached as a wide. I mean, I made my livelihood not getting reached as a wide five. Uh, and I came in there. And I was wide, lined up perfect. And, man, this man, Schwartz, I, well, I don't know what kind of technique you're teaching these guys. But it was this beautiful, like, he just got outside of me, got to my shoulder, pinned me inside, back runs around for a touchdown uh, on an outside zone. I was like, what the hell just happened? Like, how did that – but, like, that's – that's. I mean, you – so, again, just hats off to you, dude. I I appreciate it, but I can't take credit for that, man. That's Mitch. Mitch. Uh, <laughs> I did work with Mitch very early in his career, his first couple of years. But uh, as Mitch started to develop his own – his own thing. He kind of did his own thing in terms of training, but uh, very much involved in the day-to-day -day conversations and uh, and also the uh, the, uh, the structure within uh, O-Line Mastermind. A big part of, Mitch was a big part of uh, uh, that as well and continues to be, uh, which we are very grateful for because his voice, his experience, his perspective in the room has gone a long ways with uh, the young guys. I mean, guys like Rashawn Slayer, <coughs> have attached themselves to Mitch. I remember last year, uh, they were kind of in the corner for what seemed like an hour, just walking and talking through stuff. But, uh, you know, the, the cool thing about Mitch, and I think he probably picked a lot of this up from Joe Thomas, is just the, the, the mental preparation and then being very prolific and a level of mastery of the small things, something as simple as the weight distribution through the up leg or the weight distribution in the stance and, you know, really not so much being comfortable in the stance, but understanding where their stance need to be versus the opponent that they were going to face that week. So those are coming some of the nuances and details that I think made Mitch really a special player that made Joe Thomas a really special player. Um, and that stuff is contagious. When you add that in to an O-line room, when you add that into a program like us, I mean, so much I've learned from Mitch. Uh, when you add that into, you know, younger guys, it just, it becomes contagious because as we always say, success leaves clues. And when you start to see guys really become hyper-focused in a positive way on something as simple as a, a stance, that goes a long way. Mm. Look, man, I, I almost cut you off when you say you couldn't take credit because you could take credit for a lot of guys, Duke. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you being humble, but um, I'm one of those people. And I know I wasn't at the very beginning of, of, of your career, but I was I was at, at the early stages and I saw how hard you worked, man. And but you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty early, though, man. Yeah, I was pretty. I, yeah, definitely pretty early. But to see the work that you put in and the impact that you've had on so many guys, including myself, um, I can remember um, going into my final season with the Chiefs before I hit free agency year four. Um, just the scouting reports you were giving me, the details yeah. that were in there. Um, and I was watching film and I was picking up things then, um, but there were certain things and nuances that I didn't have as a young guy because I was still early in my career that I was picking up just from those scouting reports. And just to give you a glimpse into just organizations, we have scouts. We have guys that in our game plan books that leave scouting reports and 
tendencies on these individual guys, but they're not very detailed. And to be honest, they aren't very good. It's like, I mean, they got a lot of things going on. <laughs> they got a lot of things going on, but I mean, damn, every, every Monday I would get that scouting report on individuals from Duke. And I knew down to a T what that guy favorite move was right versus left percentages, <laughs> all these different things, blitzes, all these things. And I'm going into, you know, the week already prepared before we even meet as a, as a, as a team with the, with the staff. And they're like, man, what are you, what are you doing? I'm like, man, I got the cheat sheet. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, what, you know, what's funny about that. There's a lot of guys around the league that have some very, very funny stories about the scouting reports that I will provide because <laughs> uh, I know Jeff Schwartz has one. Brian Balaga has a couple of them as well in terms of the stories because they would be very detailed. And really what it boiled down to, guys, is that when you get into a scouting department, when you get into coaching, you can't watch every snap. I mean, mm. guys may tell you they do, but you can't watch every snap. I do. I end up watching every snap. And what I realized is I was able to pick – the brain of a couple of D linemen. And they said that, especially within the division, what they try to do is give different looks every time they play a team. If they know they have to play a team twice, they're going to give a different look. So what I was doing was, say the Chiefs, you know, they played Denver. I would go back and look at not so much what Denver put on tape the week before or the previous two weeks, but what they put on tape four weeks ago or five mm -hmm. weeks ago, six weeks ago. Because typically guys are going to get back to a comfort zone at some point and give different looks, but they, they tend to repeat stuff. And a uh, uh, real quick story, Jeff Schwartz will always tell this one too. Uh, the Colts, I believe they had played the Colts in the regular season in 2013 and played them again in the playoffs. And uh, he was going against Corey Redding. And I specifically told him, I said, hey, listen, Corey Redding, is, what he's going to do to you is he's going to go – Bull, push, pull, and then disengage. And he goes, he's he's not going to do that. He hasn't shown that on tape the last three weeks ago. Yeah, but he did it early on in the season. I said, he's going to come back to it. And sure enough, Jeff Schwartz got beat with a push, pull, uh, <laughs> drag, and he texts me, and he goes, son of a bitch, he got me with the push, pull. <laughs> All I did is I screenshotted the, the report and highlighted like the, the key point where it says he's going to come back to the push-pull drag. And uh, it's just stuff like that. But really what it boiled down to was the preparation, yeah. watching every snap, um, understanding like, oh, okay, there's some tendencies here. Oh, wait a minute. This guy has a different move that he goes to when he lines up on the right side versus the left side or just formations. And uh, based upon I start to look at the safety alignment, not so much with the uh, with that with uh, – uh, predict in terms of the pressure but just the overall line movement so like if you have a safety that's kind of in the deep half kind of fill, filling an a gap and then you got a backer kind of filling uh the a gap as well if those guys trigger somebody has to have b gap you know so you kind of know that you've got the the d line the d tackle that's probably going to slant to that gap at some point so it was just figuring stuff out like that that weren't necessary pressures but just figuring out based upon alignment what the tendency is, if you kind of look at the three levels of the defense, what may happen, especially if you're running anything like the outside zone, where if you get any type of movement across your face, it can kind of derail that, much to what you were talking about being a wide five. So it was just stuff like that that I would kind of pick up and then, you know, just feed it right back to, to the players. Like, hey, keep an eye on this. And nine times out of ten, there would be some 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 fire to that smoke. Mm. Duke, I, I and Jeff, listen, you cut me off if I'm Duke going too much. I got a million questions, but I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious, Duke, about um, how you got to this point. Like, to tell us about your backstory because we, you know, I know we know about. You know, you're on pace to be one of the greatest offensive line coaches ever. What's sort of the story? What led you to this point? How how did you get here? Well, I got into coaching really early, man. Um, I played at Humboldt State University, um, mm -hmm. Division Two guy. Uh, undersized offensive lineman my entire life. Uh, but I understood my controllables. My controllables were how hard I worked in the weight room preparing physically, um, how hard I worked in the classroom, in the film room preparing mentally, and then the technique aspect. I knew if I controlled those, whatever would happen would happen. At every level I played at, whether it was high school, 
college, they were always trying to replace me. They were always trying to find a way mm. why it wouldn't work. And then I would get in and it would work. So it's right. just kind of how I had been uh, my entire life, really. But I've always kind of been curious. I've always been curious to why things work. I've been always curious to why coaches think certain ways. I've always been curious to what I can do to kind of maximize myself. And so that curiosity led me to almost be like a, a student of the game, but then also a coach on the field. And in a lot of times where I wasn't the guy, so to speak, in my college career, but end up carving out a decent college career for, for the level, for what it was and everything I was up against. Um, had the opportunity to play arena football. And I'll never forget this. I got released right before the playoffs. I was playing for the Arkansas Twisted at the time. And normally they have like some personnel guy take you to the airport or whatever. My offensive line coach, Jim Beverly, was like, hey, I'm going to take you to the airport. I'm like, All right, this is weird. And he goes, listen, this isn't the first time you've heard this. He goes, but if you're going to continue to play football, you're going to hear this more. He goes, you're fighting genetics. He goes, and I think you've maximized about all you can maximize to be able to get to this level and play and show up. He goes, but you've got a natural gift to lead and to coach. He goes, and I specifically wanted to tell you that there's a place for you in football if you continue to pursue this thing. It may not be on the field, he goes, but it could be as a coach. What Jay didn't know is right before I had uh, played the arena football, I had had an offer from College of the Redwoods Junior College, which was 30 minutes south from my alma mater in Eureka, California. And they had offered me the run game coordinator, offensive line coach, coaching mm. job. And I had this grand I had this grand idea. No, I'm playing football. I'm going to play arena football. At the time, mm. I thought I could probably go overseas and play. But when I got to the AFL, I started to see how good I wasn't. Uh, mm -hmm. but, I, but when Jim, when Coach Beverly told me that, it clicked. And so I'll never forget. I landed, and I immediately co called Coach Dave Banducci, guy rest his soul, and said, hey, is the job still open? He goes, absolutely. And so I took it and never looked back, never looked back. Mm -hmm. Coach, uh, coach the O-line and run game coordinator there for three years. And then actually went to my alma mater, back to Humboldt State, and I was assistant strength and conditioning coach, uh, but then also coached D-line. And I coached D-line for three years at Humboldt State, uh, all while maintaining uh, a website that I created called Beyond the Combine. Beyond the Combine was pretty special because what I did was I only scouted offensive linemen and defensive linemen on Beyond the Combine. Mm -hmm. That was it. And what I would do is I would watch every snap a guy play at the time. It was YouTube or me like physically videotaping games off of TV. And I would watch every snap they played. And I would talk about their capacity for development in a biomechanics standpoint. Because at the time I was a history major and biomechanic, uh, you know, kinesiology student. And so I would talk about it in that regard in terms of, hey, this is what it looks like from a movement standpoint. This is some things that he could probably do in his training that would strengthen his technique aspect. And that caught the attention of a guy named Charles Baby. And mm. uh, Charles, you know, early on was, you know, at the forefront of the offensive line development. Um, so we kind of had a rapport and started a relationship. Charles bought me on as his director of uh, player personnel, lead performance coach. So the mm. early years of offensive line performance, I was very uh, influential or I should say, you know, a very important piece of uh, that business building, even though they probably won't tell you that now. I'm dead to them. It's all right. Uh, but uh, if you look at, if you kind of look at a lot of the, the pieces that were there then versus where they ended up, and uh, you can kind of see the transition, but uh, that's neither here nor there. So my time ran out at uh, O-Line Performance uh, pretty much when I was booted from there. Um, I kind of did my own thing. And the first step to doing my own thing was to understand what I was really good at, what my controllables were again. Um, and so the first thing I did was started to provide these scouting reports to these guys. So watching the film all while starting to add to my tool uh, toolbox with training and uh, more implementation of different things to get these guys physically better. So from there, um, I was kind of off the radar. That was like the end of 2014. And then um, I took a consulting gig out here in Dallas 
was out here in Dallas, uh, you know, doing some consulting projects for the Cowboys, completely unrelated to O-line, really. It was just more mentoring and leadership. I was with them for a while, all while still providing the scouting reports and then being able to train uh, Mitch in the offseason and uh, or actually Jeff in the offseason and uh, back in Charlotte and then uh, mm. uh, Jeff Allen and then that turned into Ronald Leary and then that turned into Journey Parnell. So, mm. and so Jeff is being modest here, but he was still part of the early uh, group in mm. terms of the guys that I worked with and trained in both locations, really, uh, when I was in Arizona and then when I came here. But that trajectory really put me on to understanding that, hey, listen, man, I don't have to be like everybody else. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need to work for a team uh, because I saw the inner, quote, unquote, how the sausage is made. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a quote where the two things you don't want to know uh, how they're made or how laws and bills are passed and made and then how sausage are made because it'll disgust you, both of them. <laughs> right. um, and not that it was a bad experience you know, doing consulting with the Cowboys because it wasn't. I mean, the, the organization, they really do take care of you in terms of how they treat people. But it's just like when you're inside of a building or working in that inner structure, you start to see the things for what they are. And mm. you go, okay, where do I want to be different? You know, where can <laughs> I really help these guys? And so right. that's really what it was for me is that, the best thing that probably happened to me was doing that consulting because it allowed me to say, okay, it solidified me doing my own thing, branching out on my own and fully going for what I truly had a passion for. That's offensive line development with the three heads of the scouting, the development, and then also the mental aspect for it. And again, like I said, that first year of online masterminds, we had 27 guys in the room. Jeff Allen was a part of that. And then we grew to about 48 and then the next year, 90, and then like 175, and then this year we're like well over 225, almost 250 guys in year five. Unbelievable, Duke. It's so, I mean, it's just, again, congratulations. That, that That's a fantastic story, and uh, just just well done, the perseverance and where, where you've gotten to. I mean, you know, Jeff and I have talked about it before. Co- coaching football and playing football are two completely different things, and I think people conflate the two talents, right? People yeah. think, well, because you can play football you must be able to coach and I did a an interview for a division three job over here the defensive line coach and they said uh they said all right tell us how you're going to get teach the guys how to get into a three-point stance I was thinking damn I haven't I haven't thought about getting in a three-point stance for 15 years like I have I don't know I don't know just get in the get in the stance I don't you know so it's a a process it's Yeah. yeah man so congratulations on that being able to get to the top of the level playing it and then being able to switch gears and coach it and, and encroach at a incredibly high level, which is really well done. Look, we only got 10 minutes left. I have a million questions. We're going to have to have you come back on for another session. If you're okay with that, we'll, we'll go, but we'll let's, go uh, as long, we'll go as long as, uh, as long as I can until my meeting starts. Okay. I, I'm going to add to it, man. You talked about being different and you didn't, you kind of alluded to um, why you're different, but I'm going to tell you why you're, you're different from my perspective and being around so many different um, gurus or coaches and, people that, you know, are around football, um, you take the holistic approach and then you talked about the biomechanical aspect of your teaching. I mean, I got a BMW, my coaching, my coaching college would tell me all the time that stands for body made wrong. You know, I may, <laughs> I may not look, I may not look like I can do the job, but I fucking get it done. Um, <laughs> it's but, true. You get it done, brother. But you're one of the very few people that understood the way my body worked because I'm fucking knock me, my elbows don't extend all the way, but you have the ability to pinpoint guys, special gifts and how they can use those gifts and maximize them, but also strengthen their weaknesses. Mm. And a lot of coaches, they think it's just cookie cutter and they tell you to do this technique or do that technique. And, you know, if you just do it this way, it's going to work. And biomechanically, some I, there's certain things that I just couldn't do that because I was made I was made different. Um, so I'm so happy I came across you during my career because you know that helped me understand my body a little bit more. That made me more efficient, um, and it made me a better football player. And I was then able to kind of tell the younger guys like, "Hey, I may be able to do this, but you can't. Let's let's figure out right. you know what you're good at." Um, and in turn, it, I call it compound impact. Help somebody else along the way. So I mean. That's great, man. Yeah, yeah. And Big Jeff played against you, brother. I know I can testify to 
just, I mean, you're an, you're an incredible player, and I know Duke played a big role in that. So I can testify because I had to deal with your ass every freaking day. <laughs> practice, driving me off the ball, pushing me in the back. Freaking, man, man. Uh, Duke, I want to ask you about um, how you work with well, – we'll get into the, the – pro guys in a sec, but I'm curious about the guys coming up into the league, right? The, the the guys coming out, getting ready for the pro day, the combine, things like that. Bill Belichick said a long time ago, I can't remember exactly when, I believe I was still playing, but he kept saying some of the lines of how the, you know, the combine trading is bullshit because you got these guys training to be track stars and, uh, you know, they're coming to play in the NFL so that, they, you know, and I remember training for it. I mean, you really were, you were training for a track meet. You weren't training for playing pro football. It seems like you're developing these guys, these young guys, not only to do well at the pro day in the combine, but also to get ready to play offensive line. Can you talk to me about sort of what that, um, what goes in, what's the secret sauce, man? How are you working with these guys that are getting ready to play in the league? Yeah. One of the things that I always, and it starts with the, the language and the intent of our program. Yeah. Uh, I don't call it combine training. I call it our rookie transition program. Mm, the reason being is, is whether you got that's an early arrival that is right after his last game, that could be late November or where they opt out from a bowl game or whatever it may be. You got eight to 10 weeks to get this guy mentally, physically, and craft-wise prepared to make that transition. And kind of how I look at it is all these all these stops along the way, we want to check a box. So hmm. from your last game in college until you show up at the NFL, or let's, let's back up, your last game in college, if you're invited to an all-star game, when I get these guys in the building, we want them to look a little different and a little improved from their last game to when they show up at the Senior Bowl, East-West Shrine game, or NFLPA. Then from the NFLPA, we want them to look a little different, a little, little more improved from when they show up from that game to the combine. From that point on, we want them to look a little different from when they're at the combine to when they now approach their pro day. From that point, we want them to look a little different from their pro day to their top 30 visits or private workouts. Mm. From that point, when they get into rookie minicamp and so forth and so on, we understand that the draft, the combine, uh, those workouts, that isn't the destination. Those are all just events, and those are all stops along the way. So we want to check those boxes. And so we take the approach where that we don't, we can't afford to waste eight to ten weeks and looking pretty and going out there, the tape doesn't yeah. match it. Now, if there's some guys that have some questions that need to be answered from the tapes, then we're going to put a lot more stock in and do some specifics uh, that are going to allow them to excel and have a very great showing at the combine. And as we saw this year with Evan Neal, they tried to bully Evan Neal media-wise and team-wise because he didn't do the combine. He, he didn't do anything at the, at the combine. And my whole philosophy was, is, dude, you've played in the national championship for two out of the last three years. You've got tape starting at left guard, right tackle, and left tackle. Mm. There's nothing at the combine that they need to see that they can't see in 41 starts or whatever you have. Right. So it's just being aware um, that, hey, listen, we need to get you better. We got this as we identified as areas for improvement. Now let's get you to understand what you're really good at what really makes you unique and let's plug that into the areas for improvement, but it's not just a four or five week fix. That's a eight to 10 week window where we can utilize that to really gain ground on building out your skill set. Mm. All mm. while getting in terrific shape, all while preparing you for the interview process, all while preparing you emotionally and mentally for what it's going to be like when you get to Indianapolis and making that transition into a building. It's a very structured program. We're in the right. building very early, 6 a.m. in the morning here. And your whole day is structured much like it would be for training camp. So when these guys get into the building, they've already seen the same song and dance because we did it for eight to ten weeks. And then the really good guys that you're starting to see, Rashawn Slater, Trey Smith, and all those guys, 
those guys, as soon as the combine is over, they get their butts right back here to Dallas mm-hmm. and we train all the way up. And I've seen a, a great trend in guys that have come out and performed their rookie year. That's kind of been the secret sauce. It's not just the eight to 10 weeks. It's the eight to 10 weeks. And then they tell their agent, hey, listen, you're paying for the rest of my training going into my rookie year because I don't care about the draft. I don't care about the combine. I'm trying to be dominant. And that's, right. so that's what you see with, with those guys. That's why they come out and perform so well. They trust their process. They trust my process. They trust that they're getting the best of the best from December all the way until they report in August. And that's really what it's been. Mm. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, sorry to interrupt. i got to tell you about one of today's sponsors, and that is Trade Coffee. Listen, me personally, I'm not that big of a coffee drinker, but if I do drink coffee, when I do drink coffee, because it does happen, I want it to be the finest beans, the finest source coffee, because I don't want to drink any crap. And th- at Trade Coffee... They're incredible. They connect customers with the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. There's one in Topeka that I've had. It's absolutely incredible. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns, and trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. So if you love to help out small businesses, you're going into trade. Trade helps out these small businesses by getting you guys into contact. And I know especially in this economy, you want to help out these small businesses as, as much as you can. And Trade Coffee sends you freshly roasted beans from 60 of the country's best craft roasters, small businesses, farmers who pay their prices to sustainably source their beans. And whenever your friends call you a coffee snob, or you just know that when coffee tastes really perfect, that's Trade's real expert coffee experts. They've got these over 450 experts and 450 roasts that they know exactly what to recommend for you. Because the truth is, what I like in my coffee is not the same what you guys like in your coffee. That's why they got the quiz to to directly cater uh, to what you like, to what you want in your coffee. And they will match you with the perfectly the perfectly tailored coffee for you. And Trade delivers a bag of freshly roasted coffee as whole beans or grounds. You get to choose that. Personally, I like to grind my own stuff, so I like to get the the whole beans. It tastes fresher. French press that stuff. It's delicious. You know, however you want to brew it, you can brew it however you want it. They'll get you the coffee. Trade has delivered over 5 million bags of fresh coffee with more than over 750,000 positive reviews. That's incredible. Can't get that many people to agree on anything this year, any, in, in any time. But right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off their first order plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash KCSN. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash KCSN and let Trade find a coffee that you'll love. That's drinktrade.com slash KCSN for $30 off. Now let's get back to the show. Mm. And it's truncated that transition time, like like you're like you're hinting at there. I mean, uh, you know, what 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 we Jeff and I were talking about last time is what you're seeing with these rookies is they're coming in and they're able to play right away, right? Yeah. Where this really was not, you know, this isn't always the case. I mean, you used to have a guy who you could plug in right away as a rookie and he could play at that level, and that guy was, you know, that was an outlier. Everybody else needed to 
sort of trans. I remember uh, DeBrickashaw Ferguson being one guy where, you know, he was, he was young when I first got in and uh, they were talking, telling stories about how he really needed to get used to the game and, and all, I mean, you have these young guys who end up being perennial pro bowlers, but they need to transition in. It seems like the way you've approached it, Duke has truncated that transition time where now those guys get in and it's not a matter of, okay, now we need to learn how to play football again. It's like, no, we're ready to go. We're ready to rock. And now you have these young guys making the Pro Bowl the first year because they're playing, you know, they're playing at a football level. They don't have to worry about unlearning everything they did for the combine stuff and relearning football stuff. So, yeah, again, it, hats off. It's become a progression. It's become a, um, a comprehensive progression from when they first step in the building, uh, whenever that is, all the way until the training camp. It's a rev up. And uh, right. it's – it's uh, periodization ascending the correct way. But another big factor that plays into that as well is, I guess, that 10 weeks. But then also um, when, we, when we're able to integrate them back in with the, the vets. So when right. they come back from the combine, that, you know, that the end of February and early March is when the vets start showing up uh, to train. And so right. that's where the biggest round is made up because now they're being able to pick the brains and get inside the psyche of what these vets are thinking and the vet experience. Right. And there's a lot of co- collaborative or sharing back and forth. And then you take it a step further, they, they're able to have that for a few weeks, you know, six to eight weeks, another six to eight weeks. And then they go into rookie minicamp and they go, right. oh, shit, that's exactly what Teron Armstead was talking about. Or that right. that's exactly what Trey Smith was talking about uh, right. when we were at the gym. And then they come back for the summer training. And they've matured even a little more at a faster rate because they were already prepared for it. And right. then you bring them into the summit, online masterminds, and now you've got Hall of Famers, you got NFL legends, you've got college mm. coaches, you got professional coaches, you got PTs, you got doctors, you got everything. Any question that you may need to need answered is answered in that weekend, darn there. And right. so when you factor that in, again, it's a rev up. And it's a holistic approach where everything that you need to be successful is right here if you just open your eyes and ears and pay attention to it. You know, if I were a head coach now, listening to what you're you're saying and and, uh, knowing about what you do, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, but I wouldn't even make the offensive line do the offseason stuff, like the OT. I would just send it to Duke and have everybody come out for the mini camp and, you know, but like – you know, for O and D line during those OTAs and stuff, it's just a waste of time. Waste of time. Like, send them down there with Duke. Let them let them work like that. I mean, that's geez. there's a lot of GM, there's a lot of GMs and there's a lot of O line coaches that share that same sentiment. Mm. Um, I've got a lot of great relationships with a bunch of GMs and offensive line coaches and even strength coaches that are like, hey man, when our guys are down there, we're not worried. Like, yeah, they can stay there as long as they need to. And, and that's, and that's refreshing. That's refreshing. Uh, I've got coaches that come down and observe all the time. I've got even uh, training staffs that come down and observe all the time. And um, really, it, it's really an open door. Like, come on in, I'll explain as much as possible, but it doesn't take long to kind of figure it out. Once you get here, it, it's always an aha moment. It's just, right. it's a weld oil machine in terms of, from our dynamic warm-up to our corrective exercises to our, you know, our actual strength work to our skill portion to our conditioning portion. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. You know, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's very focused. Man, the D-line got to get something going, man. Jeez, I'm crow. <laughs> you guys are going to be taking over. You guys be ta- you are taking over. Well, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, dude, because I know. We, we, actually, we actually got more time. My meeting got moved back a little bit. So, okay, perfect. I'm I'm curious about um, your thoughts on this Chiefs offensive line. You talked about sort of the pipeline from, you know, your work and these guys coming into KC and your relationship with Kansas City. ESPN, I believe, ranked them the number one offensive line in the league. Um, And I know, you know, you obviously had a major role in that. So sort of give me your your breakdown. What do you think of this offensive line? Um, And, uh, you know, maybe go position by position. I don't mean to throw you on the spot, but just sort of your overall thoughts and then maybe name some guys. You know what? Uh, it's fun, man. It's fun mm. because you've got the same unit essentially intact from last year. Mm. And um, I think once Wiley settled in at right tackle, you don't need him to be a world beater. 
You don't right. need Andrew to be a, a world beater. You need him to be functional. You need him to understand how he wins um, and, and and understand that he's going to win against 85 to 90 percent of the league. Right. He may have some issues with some of those top elite guys. You know, that's kind of what you give up from going from, you know, Mitch to, to Andrew, but that's okay. There's plenty right. of solid, capable starters in the NFL just like that. Fans may not think so. Fans want everybody to be all pro, pro bowl type guy. That's just, it's not realistic. No. Uh, but when you look at Andrew Wiley, I think having him settled in, there's going to probably be a little competition there eventually from Darian Kennard. Uh, which is great. I think Darian uh, has shown some stuff in the preseason. Still has to continue to clean up his hands and set, uh, which was really what we focused on uh, with his time with me and then uh, just kind of what we identified even on his Kentucky tape. But improvement. I think Andy Heck is going to be the best person for him mm. in that regard. Uh, Trey Smith is going to be Trey Smith. He's going to go out there. He's going to bust you in the mouth. Uh, he's going to be physical. He's going to be aggressive. He's going to have a bunch of wild plays while all giving you really solid football. Same thing with Creed, who you arguably make uh, make the argument that he's one of the top centers in the league already heading into year two. Mm. Uh, you know, JT at left guard is, you know, about as consistent and savvy as they come. I don't mm. think we talk about him enough as a top and elite uh, guard in this league, but he is. Like, honey is just – like Joe is a really, really good football player and has been for a long time, even when he was with the Patriots. I think that if you really want to know what he's all about, go look at the game that he played when he had a cast on his head. There's something about mm-hmm. being hurt and figuring out things, being able to problem solve, being able to self-organize, and he was able to do that and find a way to win. So that's really a sign of a really elite thinker and elite type of player. You know, Orlando Brown, Orlando Brown is going to be uh, steady Eddie. Uh, he's going to struggle a little bit with speed. That's okay. As long as he is able to take a good set and be mm. in position to recover, Orlando's going to be fine. You know, yeah. um, I think where Orlando runs into issues is where his set is off just a touch and he's not in that position to recover. Uh, that's where he ends up running into uh, trouble, shortening in the edge. But I think you're going to see them, and I think he'll probably maybe run the football a little more this year. Uh, but, you know, you got number 15 back there. So if you keep number 15 clean and yeah. he's able to get down the, the deep balls out of that sideline, those crossing routes, uh, you know, the screen game is deadly when Coach Reed is hitting on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. And if you add a little power football into that, like they did some games last year, I'm really excited about, about this O-line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like what you said about Wiley, and you had you'd sent out a tweet, and I was laughing, and I, I responded to the tweet. Where you basically said what you said. Like, listen, not everybody's going to be a world beater. I mean, not everybody's going to be a perennial pro bowler. you got to have uh, some guys that are just limited, cons- but they're consistent. They go in there and consistent. And I, I tweeted, I'm like, you just summed up my nine-year career in one tweet. I mean, that that's how – but – and I think, I think sometimes because Kansas City has had so many all-stars – across the board i think i think sometimes we can lose sight of that that you everybody can't be uh everybody can't be the the hall of the the future hall of famer but when you have a guy like wiley who's consistent who is going to go out there and like you said 85 90 percent of time going to win you have four pro bowlers lined up next to him i mean that's that's a good that's a good solid lineup you know so dallas dallas fans are the worst for that i mean they they want everybody to be Travis Frederick. They want everybody to be Zach Martin, Tyron Smith. Right. And if you're not, you suck. Yeah. yeah. Duke. <laughs> oh, he's not very good. Like, well, why do you say that? And let, <laughs> let me tell you something, Duke. Dallas is the first team I think about. Now, this was a totally different offensive line, but we I played them when I was in the Jets way back where they had Leonard Davis and um, – what's the center's name? Andre Girard. They had yeah, uh, Flozell Adams, um, uh, Colombo. I mean, they had – all-stars and um but there were times that they didn't play well you had all these individual guys that were good but because they couldn't figure it out as a group you could take advantage of it and so like uh that dallas i feel like is the number one culprit not just on the offensive line but across the board of having perennial pro bowl talent all over the place and yet never making it to the wild card game you know, I mean, it's like so. I so I I I laugh when you say that because they're the first counterexample that I bring up where it's like 
no, look, these guys have all this talented stuff. And, and, and that, I guess that brings me to a question is talk to me about the importance of the cohesiveness of the offensive line. Right, because like I said, you could have – I've played against offensive lines that have five pro bowlers across the board, and I wasn't worried one bit. But I played against an offensive line like Buffalo Bills back in the day who had played all the same five consistent guys across the board. They were hell to play against because they, they worked together so well. So can you talk, maybe talk to that a little bit as well? So we've gotten into this thing now where with social media, with – a lot of people having a lot of opinions about offensive line that don't have a fucking clue mm. about mm-hmm. how to even tape a glove correctly or how to put on a Donjoy or now have an opinion about everything. Right. And uh, it's simple as simple as when I make a comment about, like, I don't understand when teams rotate tackles or rotate. It, it just it, – it's mind-blowing. Yeah. Like, the continuity that is needed on the offensive line you know, five sets of eyes, ten eyes saying the same thing, uh, working towards a common goal. Offensive line is the ultimate team within the team. And that continuity of playing together, the same five guys together, barring injury, uh, just the communication aspect. And a lot of times it's not even words that need to be said, but it's just a it's a look or a grunt or something like that. Right. <laughs> you know, right. you kind of know what the guy next to you is talking about. And when there's a revolving door in a lineup, you don't Killer. get that. You don't understand that, like, if I'm playing guard in this tackle, you know, certain tackles are going to want, you know, that guard to be a little heavier on the B block versus the others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you only know that by that communication and talking over it, you know, hey, how thick do you want me to be on this B block? You right. know, right. just yeah. give me right. a little or, no, open him up, let's lift his shoulder and, like, let's treat it, let's treat it like a – like a deuce or right. you know, let's get vertical push or let's collapse it. So it's small stuff like that, that the continuity is so important mm. and it doesn't pay the dividend early on in the season. It pays the dividend in week seven, right. week eight, week mm-hmm. nine, week 10. Like that's where like that continuity from training camp and those first six to seven weeks are so important for the back end of the season. And if you don't have that, that's when you start to see teams sputter just a little bit. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that. Um, just the importance of that and the, the lack of communication from the sense of verbally when you have that continuity is so important because there were times I played next to Eric Fisher for you know a few years and, and Mitch Morris. There were times where we absolutely had to say nothing. We could just look at each other and right. know exactly what to do. And that's just because yes. we played together for a few years. Um, and, and that transitions to my next question. You talked about coaches. Um, rotating guys, and not only rotating guys, but playing them out of position. I kind of articulated it last week with you, and we talked about me being able to play multiple positions. I played guard, mm. I played tackle left and right, and I was able to do it, but that shit isn't easy. <laughs> and you, biomechanically, you can articulate it way better than I can. How hard is that, and, and why is it not as simple as maybe Twitter makes it seem or coaches sometimes? <laughs> you know, well, well, there are certain guys that can absolutely do it flawlessly, seamlessly um and you don't really notice the hiccup but what ends up happening especially guys that not so much move from you know tackle to guard but sides of the line is you end up having a shortening uh response Mm. and what ends up happening is say i'm a right side player my entire career say i'm heading i'm you know 14 years in i've been playing on the right side for 14 years, that means that, you know, my hip is in constant flexion. My left hip is in constant flexion. That hip flexor, that psoas, instead of being here, is now done this. And then mm. my right leg is always externally rotated because, you know, mm. I'm on that instep, that hip is always open. So when you look at what that does in terms of things, in terms of things like the glute and, and, the, and the hip flexor and the quad and then the abductor and adductor, on that side of fully being externally rotated. And then when you look at what it does to impact the the psoas and the hip flexor on the the left side, that's always in flexion. And then say, mind you, I've been in this stance for 14 years now. Now in year 15, they want me to play on the left side all of Mm. a sudden, and they want me to play guard because they feel like that maybe I've lost a step at right tackle. And now, you know, they have a need at guard. 
they think I could still play, but you know, maybe I upgrade guard. All of a sudden now that hip that has been fully externally rotated for the past 14 years on the right side is now in constant flexion. Mm. So now I'm doing this and my hips are rotated, my core, my hip flexor, and all that type of stuff is just not where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. I really haven't trained properly on both sides in terms of uh, getting back to symmetry. I've got asymmetry and imbalances now. I go to take a set and that repetitive motion, that muscle pattern, and that muscle uh, movement and grain on the right side, it now feels completely wonky on the left side. And now I'm starting to compensate. My body is starting to say, oh shoot, I'm not used to this, you know? So now I'm taking an extra gather step. Now I'm elongating a little more. And now all of a sudden I've got a poor hip flexor. Mm. Oh shit, now I've got a growing injury. Now my hip is off a little bit. Now I got knee pain in the knee because the joint angles start to change. And then, you know, just in terms of anatomically how I'm starting to structure and what I've ingrained on the opposite side is now kind of being reversed out without any really proper training. So mm. that's kind of an extreme case, but I like to talk extreme cases for people to see the big picture in terms of what it does biomechanically, but just in terms of the actual skill set and the actual feel for it is oftentimes once you move to a, the opposite side of the line, especially in a new position, you your body naturally wants to feel comfortable. So you're going to try to move in a manner in which you feel just as comfortable on your dominant side, whether that was your, on your right and left. Oftentimes, that comfort zone in terms of which you move with isn't as efficient and will leave you short, especially in the past set. And so your set points and your landmarks start to change because you thought you were feeling comfortable. In reality, it's not really where it needs to be. So all of a sudden, you start to see a guy undersetting. And then his compensation for undersetting ends up being oversetting, and then mm. now he can't redirect. And so one of the things that we try to work on a lot down here is I don't care if you've been in the league for 10 or 15 years. I don't care if you only play one position. We train right and left side. Mm. Just like we, we make it a habit of doing that, not so much so for you to be prepared, but just to keep the body in some level of symmetry. And then one of the things I always tell the guys is hard to remind them about this is like, hey, when you go back to your team, especially midway through the season, start getting in the opposite side stands and taking mm. sets on the opposite side to kind of unpack all that uh, in layman's terms without getting too scientific and talking over people's head. But some guys go, oh, yeah, I feel much better after a couple of weeks of doing that. It's just right. lengthening everything back out, you know, get everything back into, you know, balance and, you know, some type of form of symmetry go a long ways in keeping guys healthy and then also being able to make the transition to to maybe a different position. But flopping sides is very difficult. And then you factor in a young guy that's had to change positions a lot. Mm. Alex Leatherwood comes to mind. Alex Leatherwood, career left tackle, all of a sudden moves to right tackle, all of a sudden moves to left guard, then the right guard, now he's back at right tackle. Uh, for a guy like that, he's very cerebral. Uh, a guy like that, like you want him – to be in one position, to come up with a system and a process that worked for him, and then own that. I was mm. just telling somebody this the other day. In the NFL, what I've seen is you got guys that are naturally gifted that just go out there and do what they do. And mm. then you got guys that are very process and systematic driven in which they find what works for them, and they stick to that. They may add in a few new things. And then you got guys that are the ultimate, ultimate like on the fly, on the fly, uh, on the fly, compensators and problem solvers, where they just figure shit out, you know, mm. where they can just get the job done. It may look different every single time, but they get it done. And then you got the elite guys that really have all three of those traits, where they understand who they are and can do some special stuff and just be who they are. But they also have a process within that, and then they're able to problem solve on the fly. Those are typically the elite guys. Not everybody could be that. So yeah. understanding what type of guy you are, whether you're a God-given guy that's going to stick with that, that athleticism and get them out of trouble, or whether you're a process-driven guy, or whether you're a problem-solved type of guy, uh, it goes a long ways in understanding how you're going to learn. And even for coaches, like I've had to learn that. I've had to learn what type of guy uh, I'm coaching 
in order for him to get the most out of what I'm doing. That way I can speak his language mm. because if I'm throwing a bunch of stuff out of a process guy and it's not within their language, they're going to shut down and not be able to retain that. Mm. So like with Leatherwood, Leatherwood's a process guy. He's a guy that like structure. He's a guy that's going to need to hear the same stuff over and over again, not telling him the same stuff, but the, 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 the cueing, like you got to make sure you cue him the same way over and over again, and then he'll get it. But if you're throwing a bunch of added, some of those guys, flipping sides and then changing certain stuff or, hey, you know, giving general, hey, throw your hands here. Mm. I hear a lot of coaches that give cues that just aren't impactful, that really aren't telling a guy what to do or how to do it. It's just, <clears throat> just something, you know, I think that, and I'm not saying that this is what's going on with Alex, but this is just my observation of I know what type of guy he is. Yeah. So he needs reps in a system that's going to allow him to continue to develop at that right tackle position. Mm. Yeah, I, I, man, you hit that. We, we have these conversations all the time, but I never heard that from you. And that's so true, man. Like I wasn't, I wasn't an elite guy. I probably had two of those traits, but I never had all three of them. Um, but when I first got in the league, I was a tackle my entire career in college. Mm. We played right side, left side, strong side, weak side in college. So I was able to play right and left because of that, but I was a tackle. And it's totally different from guard. I got through in the fire my rookie years of guard. And I mm. absolutely sucked because it's a totally different battle. And I, I didn't have great coaching. But I didn't know it. I didn't know it at the time. But as I got older and I got around some great coaches, I was like, holy shit. Mm. Like I was just I was just hung out to dry. And a lot of guys, it's detrimental mentally and physically, because sometimes guys can't come back from that. Some guys mm. aren't lucky like me where you know, they, they clean house and then they bring in an excellent staff and a great O-line coach like Andy Heck that, that can build you back up. Um, but that, that goes on a lot in the league. And I know you don't know what's going on with Leatherwood, but, you know, you're smart enough to see with your own eyes and, and, and make that assumption. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And uh, that's just kind of what I see. And I see it around the league. Uh, one of the things that I always try to, when I have conversations with uh, front offices and even coaches, uh, one thing they always tell them is like, hey, us as coaches, we got to understand what really makes these guys unique and special. Mm -hmm. And once we can identify that, that'll, that'll go a long ways for us to be able to plug in areas for improvement. Because, yes, we want guys that are able to learn new things. and But in order to replicate those things, there has to be a level of familiarity. Mm -hmm. And if we want a guy to be able to replicate something we're asking them, then we have to find a way where we're able to plug in something that he's really good at to get that job done. That way we know even through, through tough competition, guys are always going to revert back to their lowest level of training. Yeah. Mm. If their lowest level of training happens to fall in their wheelhouse, then they're able to replicate that. Mm. If their lowest level of training uh, is something that they've learned that they didn't fully trust in the first place, they're going to abandon it and try to go back to whatever hell they, they feel safe and comfortable at. So right. I always try to tell coaches like, hey, let's find and identify what makes these guys unique and special and plug that in to the rest of their game. And then also let's not coach away what makes these guys unique and special. We like we as coaches fall into this trap of always wanting things done our way. And right. sometimes when that happens, we coach away what makes these guys who they are. And we got to really be self-aware as coaches and developers where that ends up being the case where, we, hey, we want it this way. We need to ask ourselves, why do we want it that, that way? And right. if we want it that way, is this putting this kid in the best situation to be able to replicate and have success down in, down out? If the answer is no, then we, got, we need to look in the mirror because mm -hmm. the first thing that coaches always say, oh, this fucking guy can't do it. Mm. You know, give me somebody else. Yep. Yeah. Well, it is, <laughs> that's not always the case. If you got a first round right. guy there that your front office and, you know, it, through months and months of preparation and, you know, investigation and scouting, feel like that this is the guy and you're saying this is the guy because he can do X, Y, Z. Let him do X, Y, Z. Right. Right. Yeah. We just. That's a great. That's a great point. Yeah, we could go all day, man. Yeah, Big Duke. Make sure everyone, Chiefs Kingdom, follow him at Big Duke Fifty on Twitter. Uh, Duke, this has been incredible. You have to come back on during the season. There's gonna be so much more to talk about. 
thank you so much for your time today. It's really, it really has been an honor, Duke. We appreciate it so much. Uh, Big Jeff, great to see you, brother. Love you, bro. Good to see y'all, man. Appreciate Chief, you coming on, Duke. Chiefs, kids, I gotta, we will. Oh, go I ahead. Send, I got to send you some uh, Mastermind IPA. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, shout out Mastermind IPA. Man, Duke is not only the, the greatest O-line guru in the game right now, he got the greatest beer, too. Oh, <laughs> we got to we, yeah. we get it. Good. So, listen, the next good. time you come on, Duke, we'll all share a beer together. Right. And we can and, order uh, that online, too, so make sure you mention that right now. Yes, yes. Yeah. In fact, yeah, yeah go ahead. Hit up, hit up uh, Hop and Sting Brewery. Hop and Sting will be able to take care of you guys. But if you're in the DFW area, we are probably at about 30 or 40 bars already. Uh, nice. We're in multiple stores. Uh, with the cans so you can buy cans uh at various bars and in stores liquor stores around here uh we're going to be at dfw airport any day uh on a couple of taps we'll be at texas live uh we'll eventually be coming to albertson's and some other places pretty soon but it's a 7.7 percent uh ipa traditional hazy ipa not too hoppy just enough hops beautiful citrus notes and it's made in the true essence of what online play is about it's gritty, mm-hmm. it's bold, it's in your face, but mm-hmm. smooth when it needs to be. It is, oh, it is really good. Excellent. I'm not a beer guy, and it's amazing. I can tell you that. Well, listen, when I when I um, uh, tweet out the episode, I will make sure to tag you and to tag the website as well, okay? Um, yeah. But, yeah, next time you come on, Duke, we'll share a beer together. I'm excited to try it. Thank yes, you sir. again, brother. That's so good. grateful. Cheers. Chiefs Cheers. Kingdom, we'll see you next week on One on One Talk More Chiefs Football. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.